0: Today, I covered information about how Mr. Armstrong came to believe what he did through reading the scriptures himself and perhaps reading commentaries and did his own study and came up with the eight-day scenario that we have used in the church traditionally. The Jews don't do this. Uh, they only keep seven days, even though they start a day late on the 15th. They understand that it is seven days of the Mother's Day, not eight days. Nor do they see a separation between Passover and the days of unleavened bread. In fact, they don't really even keep the Passover. They keep a feder on the 15th and begin uh, the 7 days of unleavened bread at that point. So, what does the Bible itself actually say? Mm-hmm. And I brought up the questionable feelings that a lot of people have expressed over the decades in the Church of God about a vaguely uncomfortable feeling. Uh, working on Passover day, uh, eating leavening on Passover day, and speculated as to why we may have had those feelings. I know I had them off and on over the years, sometimes more uh, poignantly than at other times, but was always a big feeling of discomfort in working on and eating leavening on the day that Christ was being sacrificed. This has come up, apparently, in the Church over and over, over the years and over the decades. It has never become a raging issue like Pentecost or uh, the calendar, but I suspect that it may become a raging issue once the truth is truly understood about the Days of Unleavened Bread and the Passover. Uh, I showed you some... Examples in Genesis 4, Genesis 29, about the firstborn lamb, who uh, ultimately was Christ, uh, even with as far back as uh, Cain and Abel, and even quoted Peter showing that Christ was saying before the foundations of the world. So the Passover itself was mentioned long before Exodus 12, and always in, the, uh, in connection with Christ. And even Genesis 29, with Abraham and Isaac, the father and son, and the sacrifice, there I believe to be a direct type of the father and the son. Uh, in Exodus 12, we began to see that very, very important events occurred on the 14th. And actually, nothing of real occurred on the 15th. All we have recorded is the marching out of Ramses on the 15th. The fireworks all occurred on the 14th. And we'll flash forward here for a moment to the New Testament. Uh, we'll get there and go through the New Testament verse by verse and all those passages that have to do with the Passover and the order of it and so on. But think about it ahead of time before we even get there. When was the Passover? Beginning of the 14th. When was Christ uh, betrayed? When was he taken into captivity? When was he beaten? When was he killed? When was his trial? All in the 14th. He died by the end of the 14th. What happened on the 15th? Big silence. Nothing. Nothing is mentioned of the 15th except the Jews' Passover. But everything important that had to do with the Father and the Son and you and me occurred on the 14th. And the Jews were keeping the 15th wrongly and still out of his bed. But Christ did it on the 14th and he died on the 14th. Everything important happened on the 14th. So bear that in mind as we uh, consider Exodus 12 now. Now, that last sermon, two weeks ago... I did get into Exodus 12. We showed that they separated the lamb on the 10th, that they killed it at the beginning of the 14th, Ben Hav, Ayim, at the beginning of the 14th. That's when God starts the day. And that's the only evening that is connected to the 14th. If you wait till sundown of the next day, the end of the 14th, as soon as the sun goes down, it is the 15th. And that twilight period is the 15th. So if they were to kill it on the 14th, at dusk, or during the dusk period, then it had to be at the beginning of the 14th. Therefore, the Passover to this day is still the beginning of the 14th. The day it roasted with fire, I made a point, which I will follow up today, in verse 11, Thus shall you eat it, with your loins girded, that is, the robes pulled up, so that they could move quickly, hastily, athletically, not have skirts around their feet. They wanted to, as he said, have your loins skirted, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, your walking stick in your hand. It is the Lord's Passover. Oh, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So this was to be done in a great state of readiness, with great watchfulness. And I use the analogy, which I think is good to use here again, they were ready, at a moment's notice, to go, to flee, to get out of there. And that was to be on the 14th. Now, if I am planning on going on a trip the night of the 15th, why do I grab my staff, my shoes, gird my loins, pack my bag, uh, fuel the car, the day before does that make any sense I was planning on coming on this trip Uh, I didn't a day before I came on the trip get on my traveling clothes put my keys in my pocket my shoes on and sit around the house for a day ready to go I relaxed the night before, a little bit. I spent some time with my wife, because I knew I didn't need to go that night. Now, had I been going to leave that night, I would have been in a much greater preparedness state of readiness. But God tells them, keep this Passover in absolute readiness. Shoes on, loins dirty, staff in hand, be ready to go in haste. In other words, Judy Piker is imminent. and it is clear, he's speaking, of the beginning of the 14th because he said it is the Lord's Passover. So they would be to, to be ready to go with the beginning of the 14th and to be in a state of readiness all night long. For so I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment, I am the Eternal. Now remember, that is the night of great signs and wonders, and we're going to examine that a little later on as well, and see what night later scriptures show as important. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you, to destroy you, when I smite the land of Egypt. This was to be a night of great signs, wonders, and miracles, of smiting all the firstborn, of man and beast. Now notice verse 14, where we left off, and I want to re-emphasize the point that I made at the end of that sermon. And this day... Not another day, this day. Nothing has changed here dramatically. We're still talking about the Passover. He just mentioned Passover night when he destroyed the firstborn. So he's saying this day. Now let's emphasize another word here. Not only this day, but this day. In other words, the whole day. Not just an hour or two the evening before, but the whole day. Passover day is what he's talking about here. And this day shall be to you for a memorial. We tend to overlook that. It is a memorial day. A day to be kept in memory. A day to be memorialized. So it is not only an hour, it is a whole day. And it is a memorial day, and you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. The so Passover day, this day, is a feast. That's something else we tend to overlook. In fact, one man told me, there's no way you can call Passover a feast. Well, <laughs> here it is. You shall keep it, Passover day, both as a memorial and as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. So it is not only an hour, it is a day, it is a memorial, it is a feast, and it is an ordinance. Those four things are established in this one verse. Completely and totally established in one verse. Now, when we go on through the rest of Exodus 12 and Exodus 13, we must bear verse 14 in mind. That the events talked about in Exodus 12 and 13 relate back to this day, this memorial, this feast, this ordinance. Okay? Now, there is no change of subject here. It says, Verse 13, we're still talking about the Passover as a feast. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. It doesn't fast forward here to the 15th. It doesn't change the subject. It's still talking about the Passover, right? Doesn't that follow the rules of Hebrew and English and Chinese grammar? Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses. So whenever this starts, the first day, leaven is to be out. For whosoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. So whenever this seven days started, it went consecutively straight through. Now, if Passover is a feast, and I'll show you a little later on very clearly that they had to eat unleavened bread on the, first, on, on the Passover day. We can prove that. We'll get to that a little later today, I hope. So, is Passover, the first day of unleavened bread. Now, so far, I know I haven't proved that, but we'll go on through here. And I think that we can prove that with this chapter and the next. And then we can go to other scriptures elsewhere, which underscore it and affirm it more so. And then the first day, there should be an holy convocation. So whatever the first day of Unleavened Bread is, it is a holy convocation. Now, someone told me that, you, that there's no way Passover is a holy convocation. Keep your finger here, and I think I turned back here in that last sermon, but let's review it and reiterate it. Leviticus 23, not just verse 6 now, which people like to go to, but let's read the first verses and get the context. Let's rest nothing out of context here. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them concerning the feasts of the Lord. The subject here is established in verse 1 as the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. So the subject of this chapter is the feasts of the Lord, and these are holy convocations. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, and the holy convocation. So the weekly Sabbath is the first one mentioned, and it is a holy convocation. You shall do no work therein, it is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. Then he repeats, These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which you shall proclaim in their season. In the fourteenth day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. This sounds to me like Passover is a Holy Convocation, it is a feast, we've already established in Exodus twelve fourteen that Passover is a feast, the whole day is a feast. And we find here that Passover after the weekly Sabbath is the first, Feast mentioned. On the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. To the Lord seven days you must eat unleavened bread. Now verse 6 is probably the most difficult verse to explain in terms of what I am proposing to you. But I think once we see all the other scriptures put together, Leviticus 23, 6 is going to come into focus. And in fact, some who read verse verse 6 are people who have told me that Passover is not a holy convocation and it is not a feast. And yet we've seen here very clearly that it is both. So we must understand uh, verse 6 in the light of this information. It's not fair to jerk verse 6 out and leave the rest here. So let's not finish with... Uh, Verse 6 is yet, I want to get to that later, and I think that it can be logically explained to match the rest of this, I'm not avoiding it, I'm simply wanting to lay some more background first so that we might understand that verse in the light of verses 1 through 5, and in the light of Exodus 12, 13, Deuteronomy 16, and other scriptures. Alright, let's go back to Exodus 12 then. Verse 16, well, verses 15 and 16, with Leviticus 23, five in mind, that Passover is a holy convocation and it is a feast day. Does it not make sense that since there is no change in subject here, he is just talking about the Passover all the way through this chapter. There's nothing changed in verse 15 or 16, the context continues, it mentions the Passover, Calls it a feast, and a memorial and an ordinance, and it says, Seven days shall so we eat unleavened bread, even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses. Context would seem to indicate that the first day is Passover Day. Now we can see other pictures which call it that clearly as we go on. So, the first day should be a holy convocation. Well, we've already read Leviticus 23, 5, the Passover is a holy convocation and is a feast. But we have passed over it, if I might use the pun. Uh, so, the first day is a holy convocation, the seventh day is a holy convocation. Well, a Passover day is a feast and is a holy convocation, then it only makes sense to me that it is the first day. Day of Unleavened Bread, which has to be a Holy Convocation and the Feast, and then the seventh day is also the same. Now, we're going to go through some scriptures and see which day God memorialized, what events he memorialized, what is to be remembered, what is a memorial, it's a to remember it's a memory, uh, and you will be amazed. Verse 17. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For in this self-same day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall you observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. Now which day did he call an ordinance? Passover day. Verse 14. He calls Passover day an ordinance. Is there any place where he calls the 15th an ordinance forever. No, there is not. Now, we have read verse 17 and assumed from Leviticus three six that the self-same day he brought their armies out of the land of Egypt was the 15th. But he does not say that. There is no place in the Bible, that it says that he brought the armies out of Egypt on the 15th. Now I know some someone is going to bring up Numbers three, and they're going to say that he parted Ramesses on the 15th, and you know what? That is absolutely correct. Let's go back to Numbers 33 and see if they came out of Egypt on that day. Is that what it says? Chapter 33, verse 3 of Numbers. And they departed from Ramses in the first month, on the 15th day of the first month, on the morrow after the Passover, the children of Israel went out with an high hand in the sight of all the Egyptians. Now, does it say that they left Egypt on that day? No, it says they departed Ramses on that day. We'll go on in Exodus 12 and see when they began to leave and where they went and where they went thereafter but we assume something it doesn't say there in Numbers 33 that they went out at night either it says on the morrow after the Passover on the 15th we'll get down to discussing the night in a little bit Deuteronomy 16 is where it mentions they went out by night Uh, and people say that couldn't have been Passover night Well, we'll see. We'll see as we go on. I'm presenting some things to you here because I do know the objections, and I do know where people go, and I know why we believe what we believe, but I see scriptures that belie what we believe, or make a lie out of what we believe. Now, let me go back to my notes here. I don't want to leave some things out. Let's focus for a moment here on self-same day. We'll go on in the context of chapter 12, but let's look at this. Point A, there's been no change in the antecedent of the context here. This whole chapter so far is about the Passover, Passover day. I mean, the what happened on that day. And this same day, have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Alright, let's go down to chapter 12, well up to verse 11, and reiterate the point again. On Passover night, they were to be in a state of great readiness. We need to grasp that, and going on to the other verses. Now let's go to verse 31. This is after midnight, when the firstborn of man and beast had been spread throughout all Egypt, and there was not a house in which there was not one dead. Verse 31, And he called for Moses and Aaron by night. Which night? The same night, Passover night. The only night that is introduced in Exodus 12 and 13, is Passover night, okay? Not the night of the 15th when we observe the night to be much observed. And said, rise up and get you forth from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. When did they get their marching orders? Passover night. God performed a mighty sign and wonder, and with a great power of his hand, he smote all the firstborn of Egypt. And when Pharaoh understood that it happened, that his people were wailing and screaming and crying all across the land, he sent word immediately to Moses and Aaron and said, Get out now! The order to leave Egypt, their release, if you will, the thrusting out, the push, by Pharaoh, happened on Passover night, not the night to be much observed. He said, do everything you said, go, serve the Lord, go out in the desert, everything you said to me you wanted to do, go do it, go now. Also, take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone. And bless me also! He just lost his firstborn. And he wanted them gone now. So the order to leave came on Passover night. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people. Okay? They wanted them gone now. They were urging them to go. I would not be surprised. You see, back in Exodus 11, He said, they will surely thrust you out altogether. He said, I'm going to bring one more plague on Egypt, and after that they will thrust you out. All right, the plague came, the killing of the firstborn. When were they thrust out? Immediately. That night. So the official beginning of their leaving Egypt came that night. That's the night they got their marching marching orders. That is the night that is to be, what? Memorialized. That is the night to be remembered. If nothing that says the 15th is the night to be much remembered. We'll get down to where it mentions that night in a little bit in the context. But in chapter 11, he says, As soon as the firstborn are dead, this one last plague, They will thrust you out. So he said, speak now, ahead of time, in the ears of the people, saying, you will spoil them. And maybe they didn't even begin the spoiling beforehand, I don't know. But he goes on and says, for the firstborn will die, and he'll make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel in verse 7. So that is the night they were thrust out, and it is today but the, the spoiled Egyptians. Those Egyptians were so scared, so frustrated, they said, we we'll all be dead men. Maybe they even brought their earrings, their jewels, their gold, their silver, all the precious things to the doors of the Israelite houses where people were in keeping the Passover. They may have knocked on the door and said, here, take our jewels, go, leave. Because Pharaoh had said, Go now, go tonight. And then the people themselves were urging upon them. They had the same attitude Pharaoh did. Get out of here. Go away. Please hurry. We're all going to be dead. That's in verse 33. The Egyptians were urging upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. Were they told to eat the Passover in haste with their shoes on and their staff in their hands? God knew they were going to be ordered out that night, for they said, we the all dead men, our firstborn are all dead, we're all going to die, get out of here now, hurry, urgent haste, that is the night of haste, that is the night the Egyptians would remember, the firstborn died. And we'll see that, that is the night Israel remembered as well. And the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading crawls being bound up in their clothes upon their tripled shoulders. Did they have unleavened bread on Passover Day? No, they were thrust out that night. God brought them out by night. He got their deliverance that night. And they put their kneading cross on their backs and left. Now the question will come up, did they stay in their houses until morning? Did been told stay in until morning? Uh, Pharaoh sent word by night, told them leave now. Did they stay in until sunup? I don't know. How do you define morning? The word for morning here basically means sunup. Uh, did they understand it that? We speak of in the morning. Do we, do we specify sunup unless there's a particular reason to be there till sun sunup? Or is 3, 4, or 5 in the morning when people get up in the morning sometimes to go to work? Uh, that is a point I think that could be argued back and forth, and I don't. I think it's moot, really. It doesn't really matter whether they waited till they first saw the very first sign of light, or whether it was where you could see each other, or whether the sun actually was coming up, But the order to come, the thrust came in the night, as soon as Pharaoh got word and heard, he sent word for them to get out. So the official leaving by night came, Passover night, and as soon as they legally could, whenever that was, they grabbed their kneading cloths, they grabbed their children, they saddled their ass, they grabbed their camel, they packed their stuff, they took the things from the Egyptians, and they left immediately, the Egyptians hastening them off. Go! Go! They were probably standing around. Get out of here! Until they actually left. The land of Goshen was quite large, Uh, I've seen estimates of 300 square miles, and there were maybe 2-3 million of these people. They had decided ahead of time where to go to gather to begin their march. They spent all that day, most of them, walking. Walking away from their homes, walking away from their farms, walking away from their brick mowers, walking away from everything that they owned in Egypt, except what was on their backs and the backs of their animals. They spent that day going to Ramses. Some of them had to walk 10, 12, 15 miles to get to Ramses. Now, to hear me, 12, 15 miles was a day's walk. And they were leaving that day. Now, it does say, and we'll go back and pick it up, that they left Ramses to go to Sukkot on the 15th. I have no problem with that. Let's say they were leaving Egypt. But they had already left their homes and everything dear to them on the 15th, had their meeting calls on their backs, and were marching away from home to go to Ramses. Now, there's where they lined up in ranks of five and marched out as I think it's chapter 14 tells us so that was the gathering point to march together but all through the 14 they marched apart family by family they went to Ramesses together but when were they dressed up when did they leave they left on the 14th now if I decide to go on a trip and I travel from train to Page or Flagstaff and I meet some friends who are going to go with me on the trip in Flagstaff and then we leave the next day from Flagstaff when would I say I left well I left the day before when I drove stage for the Flagstaff and then we left The next day from Blythstadt. When I came on this trip, I traveled part way to Omaha and then I slept some, and then the next day I traveled the rest of the way to Omaha. Well, the first day I was preparing to come to Omaha, but I left home. The second day I went to Omaha. And the same is true here. They left Egypt. They left their homes, their lands, everything that Egypt was to them on the 14th when they were thrust out and got their marching orders. They gathered up in Ramesses. And the second day, they traveled from Ramesses to Sukkoth. And then from Sukkoth, they went, I think it was to Elam, and then from there to Pahad Elam, to follow the story. They were already on their journey, in other words. They just had not gotten organized to go on, but they had been thrust out that night. Uh, let's see, verse 30, let's see, they we're doing a spoiling, let's go on to verse 39. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they brought forth out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt, and could not carry, neither had they prepared for themselves any victuals. Some points to be made here. They baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they brought forth out of Egypt. When did they leave? They were thrust out on the 14th. It says here, because they were thrust out. And they baked unleavened bread. They didn't have any leavened bread on the 14th, but they had been eating frogs on their backs and were thrust out on the 14th. And then they baked unleavened bread when they had a chance. It was not leavened. They ate no leavening. Remember, they'd eaten the Passover without leavening. No leavening and bitter herbs. And the 15th, having the 14th, they didn't leaven anything. They carried their meeting boards on their backs, and they were thrust out on the fourteenth. They couldn't carry. So verse thirty-nine refers back to verse thirty-one. It doesn't refer forward to the thirteenth. Thirty first says, He called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up, get out. That's the thrust right there. So when it's verse 39, is referring back to verse 31, not forward, back to the 14th, not forward to the 15th, okay? Now let's go back and go through the rest of this. I know that it says uh, right there in verse 37 that they left Ramses. We read that in Numbers 33 3 We'll get to that in a moment in, in the context as we go on, and I'll explain that. All right, the self-same day I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. When did God turn them loose? Well, the night he killed the firstborn. That's what turned them loose. He had had those other nine plagues up to that point, and Pharaoh's heart was always hardened, wouldn't let them go. And on that last miracle, on that last show of God's powerful arm, that is when they were released. That day. The self-same day he brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall you observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. Now which day did he call an ordinance? Verse 14 he called Passover day an ordinance. So it's speaking of the same day that is the ordinance. There aren't two ordinances, two days of the ordinances, two days that are memorials, two days that are a feast, and two days that are a holy convocation at the beginning of the days of unleavened bread. Only one. And he's already said in verse 14 that the 14th is that day. Now what about the counting of this ordinance? In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at evening, Now, which evening is there on the 14th? There is only one evening that belongs to the 14th. The day it began, or the, the, the time it began. When did the 14th begin? When did any day begin? Have you ever read Genesis 1? Let's go back to the first time God mentions days. We have to go back to the original source, and the first thing God said about something, which I agree in principle is correct. Verse 5, the first day, the evening and the morning, were the first day. Now, which evening belonged to the first day? Very simple, isn't it? The day begins with the evening. So the evening is the first part of the day, and the morning is the second part of the day. The dark part is the first part of the day. The daylight part is the second part of the day. Then it comes and explains what the second day is in verse 8. The evening and the morning were the second day. So he's establishing a pattern. A day begins with the evening, the dark part, it ends the day part, and the next evening at sundown begins the second day. The next day, or the next day begins the next evening at sundown. And he goes through that six times to show the pattern. A day starts at sundown, it ends at the next sundown, so the next sundown belongs to the second day First sundown belongs the first day. Second sundown belongs the second day. Third sundown belongs the third sunday. Sunday. (laughs) Uh, Third day. Okay, that's the way God counts. So here in verse 18, in the first month on the 14th day of the month. So the day that we're talking about is on the 14th in this context. Now people will read this and say that no, this begins at the end of the 14th, begins the 15th, and goes 15th through 21st seven days, as the days of Unleavened Bread. Now there are several things wrong with that. Number one, we're still talking in the context of the Passover here, and the days of Unleavened Bread, and the Passover being the first day of Unleavened Bread, the Holy Convocation, the Ordinance, the Memorial, the Feast but it says on the 14th day of the month. Well, as soon as the 14th ends, what begins? Sundown, the end of the 14th, begins the 15th. Okay? So if you begin it at sundown at the end of the 14th, that's not on the 14th, is it? That's on the 15th. This is an important thing for us to grasp. In the first month, on the thirteenth of the day at even. So this has to be the evening that is the fourteenth. And the only evening that is the fourteenth is sundown at the end of the thirteenth, begins the fourteenth. That is the only evening that belongs to the fourteenth. The next sundown belongs to the fifteenth. if you begin counting on the 14th day of the month, at even, just like you kept the Passover on the 14th at even, or at ben haar the only difference between Ereb here and ben haar is that Ereb means sundown. ben haar means from sundown until dark. And the only time that either of those applies to the 14th is at the beginning of the 14th. Because sundown, the end of the 14th, is the 15th. Ereb is the beginning of the day at sundown. So it says in the first month on the 14th day of the month at even, that has to be the beginning, or to be on the 14th. You shall eat unleavened bread until the 1 and 20th day of the month at even. When is the evening of the 21st? at the beginning of the twenty first. Remember Genesis one, the evening and the morning of the first day, the evening and the morning of the second day. So start counting with the fourteenth is the first day. Fourteenth first day, fifteenth, second day, sixteenth, third day, seventeenth, fourth day, eighteenth, fifth day, nineteenth, sixth day, twentieth, seventh day. Seven days of unleavened bread. So you have to count the 14th. Now, Ms. Thomas went through this very same thing with Pentecost. Remember Leviticus, Leviticus, keep your finger here. Go to Leviticus 23 for a moment. Uh, Verse 15. And you shall count... To you, from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheep of the wave offering, seven Sabbath shall be complete. Even to the morrow after the seventh day, shall you number fifty days, and you shall offer a new meat offering or meal offering to the eternal. Now he went through years and years of confusion and talked to scholars in Jerusalem and New York and L.A. Jewish scholars, trying to figure out how to count this. <laughs> Do you, do you have the Sabbath, and then Sunday, and count from Sunday, or do you count including Sunday? In other words, the, the argument in his mind was do we have inclusive or exclusive counting? And he came down on the side of inclusive counting. That is, you included Sunday as the first day. You didn't count out from Sunday. Starting with Monday. Now that is inclusive counting. Now you can't have it both ways. You've got to count the Passover the same way, or you've got to start counting Pentecost exclusively from Sunday. Follow? Now he came down on the right side of that one. There's still there some people who think you count exclusively. You don't count Sunday; you count the next day. And that's why some people are trying to count liberty Because I mean, Exodus 12. You don't count the 14th; you start the next day, even though it says on the first or, or on the 14th. Now it's easy to prove that the Armstrong was right in counting inclusively with Sunday. Because when was Christ offered? He was offered on Sunday. So that's the first day. Now let's prove this further. Uh, With the Day of Atonement, it shows how to count. Verse 27, also on the tenth day of the seventh month, there shall be a Day of Atonement. Now what day are we addressing here? The ninth or the tenth? We're addressing the tenth. On the tenth day of the month, there shall be a day of atonement. It will be a holy uh, convocation and so on. It is a day of atonement, verse uh, 28, and describes it more. But let's go on down to verse 31. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of rest. And you shall afflict your souls, and he tells you how to count it, in the ninth day of the month at even. From even to even shall you celebrate your Sabbath. Now normally when he says even, the even of the tenth is the beginning of the tenth. But here he's trying not to explain what the ninth is, because the ninth began the previous evening. He's explaining here what the tenth is. Therefore, when he mentions the end of the ninth, showing when the tenth begins, that is the evening of the beginning of the tenth. Let's read it And you shall afflict your souls in the ninth day of the month at even. From even to even shall you celebrate your Sabbath. So he's saying at the end of the ninth, because he is defining the tenth. He's not defining the ninth. If he defined the ninth, he would say at the beginning, it sunsets out the end of the earth. But he's defining when the tenth is. He says it's the end of the ninth, ninth, beginning at sunset on the tenth. Now, someone wrote a paper and said, well, you, you have to start on the ninth, trying to disprove this way of counting. Uh, and if you count any part of the night as atonement, well, whoever said that? they say you have to have preparation to start a fast at sundown. Why? I don't have to prepare for a fast. Now, I may on Friday you may need to prepare food for the Sabbath, but I don't need to prepare anything for a fast. All I have to do is stand there and drink a glass of water, and when I see the sun go down. I quit drinking. That's all the preparation needed. Or I can stop drinking two or three hours ahead of time if I want to. What preparations needed? None. That is a ridiculous, illogical way of thinking just to try to, to make a point it can't be made. He is describing the tenth here. He says the end of the ninth, beginning of the tenth, so sundown, the end of the ninth. You keep it from sundown to sundown on the tenth. That's how God counts the day. So if I can look at Exodus twelve, when He says on the fourteenth at even, it has to be on the fourteenth. Therefore, it has to be the beginning of the fourteenth. We're turning a tape over here. The only evening that is on the fourteenth is at sundown, end of the thirteenth. That's the way you have to, that's the way God comes. We saw it in Genesis 1. He explained it carefully in Hebrews 23 about atonement, and it applies right here. So, the 14th day of the month is the first day of unleavened bread. And the 20th is the last day of unleavened bread seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses, for whosoever eats that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be stranger or born in the land. There has never been a change in context or antecedent here, which is still talking about the Passover all the way through. No change. You shall eat nothing leaven in all your habitations, shall you eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Now. Chapter 12, up to this point, is describing he what is going to happen. Now in verse 21, it begins to describe what did happen. Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Draw out and take your lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. So he's referring to, about to the tent at the beginning of the chapter. And then they were to take the lamb and, and draw it out, and then four days later to kill the Passover. And you should, should take a bunch of bishops and dig it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the handle and the two-side posts with the blood that is in the basin, and none of you shall rot at the door of his house until the morning. Uh, and I won't get into an argument about whether this was three in the morning, four in the morning, five in the morning, in the morning six in the morning. Uh, it doesn't really matter, because the order to go came in the night. And from that moment on, they were officially out of Egypt, and they began to move as soon as they could, because they were all dressed to go, had their staff in hand, their shoes on their feet, and were ready to go out the door the moment the order came, or the moment they felt safe, in so doing. Whatever time of the morning that might have been. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood upon the linen on the two-side posts, the Lord will pass over the door, and will not suffer the destroyer to come into your houses to you. smite you, and you shall observe this thing for an ordinance to you with to your sons forever. So he's calling the Passover again, what? An ordinance. Repeat it. That's the only ordinance he talked about, is the Passover ordinance. And it shall come to pass when you become to the land which eternal will give you, according as he has promised that you shall keep this service, the Passover service, that's what they're to remember and to do when they got into the old promised land. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say to you, What mean you by this service? Kids will ask, well, why are we doing this? But you shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. He passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. What is to be memorialized? What is to be remembered? What are you explaining to your children? But would you explain our children, we have Ramses on the 15th, that tonight be much much observe? No. He's saying memorialize the Passover. When they ask you what this is all about, tell them about the Passover and how you killed Egyptians and our kids lived. This may seem remedial when you read it this way, but we never read it this way. So I'm going through it in detail uh, and I'm trying to explain it very simply. This is the day he delivered our houses. When were they delivered from Egypt? That night. Their kids weren't killed. Egyptian kids were killed. And the people bowed their head in worship, and the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. And Well, this is where it actually starts. He's telling them again uh, in those verses. Verse 20. And it came to pass that at midnight, middle of the night, that night. This is the night thing that Deuteronomy talks about. We'll see that. Deuteronomy 16 is not just talking about the days of unleavened bread. It includes the Passover. And those who say that it is spurious and was changed will be proven to be wrong before I am true. Sure. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, and the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne, and the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. Now, I want to make a point here that is it's a little oblique, but but it may be a point that is worth considering. When we discussed, you shall not come out of the door of your house until morning, are we to get technical about that and say that since that word in the Hebrew means sunrise, that morning is limited to when the sun actually comes up? Do we have to look at it that way? Notice here, the night that he killed the firstborn, he killed also the firstborn of the cattle. Now how could there have cattle there? Because back here in one of these chapters, when the murrain came on the cattle, chapter 9, here it is in verse 6, and the Lord did that thing on the morrow, and all the cattle of Egypt died. Interesting, huh? All the cattle died, but here he killed the firstborn of the cattle. Now, is this a contradiction? No, I don't think so. It is a general statement. They looked around and said, well, all the cattle are dead. Well, most of the cattle did die. But obviously not every cow died, because there were still cattle there that belonged to the Egyptians. So God sometimes uses all, in that sense, as a generality. And, you know, let's say a coyote got the chickens. And I go out and I see chickens lying all over and there's 90% of them dead. I might run back in the house and tell them all if, carrots, kill a lot of chickens! Now I didn't mean every last chicken, but I looked out and I saw devastation and chickens get everywhere, so my expression was, all oh, the chickens died. And yet, a certain percentage would have lived. Now the same thing could have been when God says, come not out until morning, It could have been somewhat of a generality, the same as the cattle, but morning could be more general in application than just sunrise, even though that Hebrew word means sunrise. Uh, It's just something to think about as a possibility. Uh, When was the danger over? See, when God passed through and killed all the firstborn, and the Egyptians began to scream and wail, The Israelites who were anticipating this knew that that deed had been done. So, perhaps in their minds, the danger was over. And how long did it take by the time? See, it happened at midnight, and Pharaoh realized what was happening, and then reports began to come in from others, and he heard the screaming and the wailing outside his palace, Immediately sent for somebody who had to saddle a horse or the chariot to go and tell Moses and Aaron, who probably lived some distance away from him because they didn't live at Pharaoh's palace, they were slaves. So it took some time. So when Moses and Aaron heard the word, Pharaoh said, Get out now, I'm trusting you out, go as you said, get away. And all the Egyptians began to come to the Israelites and say, We're all dead men, go, go now, hurry, get out, get out, we all be dead men. This could have been two or three or four hours later, by the time that they got all this done. So it could have still been dark, but it could have been morning in general. And it would have still if still dark. Certainly the order came by night for them to get out. It was still dark. So after the order came, did they begin gathering up what might have been left of the Passover and burning it quickly and getting all this stuff and, and getting out of there? the order came by night they officially were out of there as far as they were concerned that night alright verse 20 and it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of David that fed on his throne to the firstborn of the cattle that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of cattle so generally all the cattle had been killed in the rain but some existed until this point and even some existed after this because it was the firstborn of the cattle that was killed, so there's some cattle left, even though all had been killed. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Now, what if that happened in your town? Every house had someone dead. Anybody gonna sleep tonight? <laughs> They were already up. They killed the Passover at sundown, had cleaned it and everything at, during the dusk period. Then they had roasted it, which took several hours, probably, and they were eating it, and they were to eat it all by morning. And at midnight, the Egyptians started screaming, ranting, raving, and wailing. Here comes a horse thundering up to Moses and Aaron and said, Get out! you think these people had slept it that night? And do you think when they heard all that screaming and shouting, they slept the rest of the night? I kind of doubt it. Now, let's follow the course here. People normally go to bed on the night of the 13th, and they get up on the morning of the 13th, and they go about their business all day long. Okay. And then the 14th came. They killed the Passover, and they were up all night that night. And even if. They didn't go out until the sun actually came up. They were sitting there ready to go just as soon as they thought it would be safe. So they weren't sleeping. And then they walked all the way to Ramsey's with their flocks and their herds and grandma and everything else involved all day long on the 14th. So they not get getting rest on the 14th. Now they've been up the 13th, they've been up the night of the 14th, they've been up all day of the 14th marching. Trying to take care of the kiddies and everything. That'll wear you out. Now they come to Ramsey's, the end of the 14th, beginning of the 15th. Did they march out of Ramsey's that night? Not unless they had a cattle pod on them, they didn't. Man, they were beat by them. They've been up all day the 13th, all night the 14th, marched all day the 14th. Came to Ramsey's. I submit to you that they lay down and went to sleep next morning, they got up, right, lined up in ranks at five, and left that morning. The leaving at night had occurred on the 14th. So they slept the night of the 15th, and they got up, lined up, and left Ramses on the 15th, Tomorrow after the Passover, it says they left Ramses. Not the night, but the morrow after the Passover. When is the night to be much observed? We'll get to the definition of observed and so on in a little bit. All right. Where was I here? Verse 31, He called by night and said, Get forth, get out, that's the thrust. Take your flocks and herds, and me also. And Egyptians were urging upon the people, so they urged them out the 14th. Might have been starting at night when they beat on their doors and said, You people, get out. Take my jewels. Get out. And that's when they left. People picked their door before it was leavened, their meeting cross being bound upon their clothes and their shoulders. That was sometime during the 14th, whether it was still dark or whether it was barely light or whatever. That's when they were urged to get out, and that's when the firstborn died. The children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, and they followed out, Egyptians, jewels of silver and jewels of gold, and laymen. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they lent to them such things as they required and they spoiled the Egyptians. More than just asking for things. These people were ready to give it away. Uh, they wanted them gone. Take it, go. So it was a spoiling. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sephoth about 600,000 on foot that were men and beside children. Now that's when the calf was made, see? They had left their homes on the beginning of the, or the daylight, let's say, the 14th or about part of the morning, whenever they left. They marched all day. They gathered at Ramsey's, by a preconceived order, I'm sure. They all knew where to go, in other words. They gathered at Ramsey's, having walked 12, 10, 12, 15 miles to get there. Then they lined up. When do you make it count? You make a count just before you leave. I mean, if they're coming individual families from this village, that village, another other village, uh, you know, it's a disorganized thing. But they're coming to the gathering point. Now, when you get there, you line them all up in ranks of fives, then you can count them. So they let Ramses, 600,000 men, besides women and children and cattle and so on, and a mixed multitude went with them. So that's when they made the count, and that's when they filed out in fives. But that doesn't mean that that's when they officially were thrust out. When were they thrust out? The night before. And They baked 11 cakes to the dough which they brought forth out of Egypt, it was not 11 because they were thrust out of Egypt. This refers back to when they were thrust out on the 14th and could not carry. They did not let them wait. They killed them if they'd stayed there. You people get out. We're going to all be dead men. You get out. We're thrusting you out. Get out of here. You're going to die. Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years, and it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the same day it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night to be much observed to the Lord for bringing them out from the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord to be observed of all the children of Israel and the generations. Now, which night did they come out? When were they thrust out? Now, in any language, the grammar requires that what follows a statement, that is, the antecedent, that which follows the antecedent, is what the subject is. What is the subject? Verse 42 refers back to that night they were dressed up. It refers back to Passover night. It told them that in verse 14 that that day was to be a memorial, a feast, and an ordinance forever. That is the subject material. That is the antecedent. So then when it says the day you came out is a night to be observed forever throughout your generations, He's explaining, this is that night that is to be observed. This is the ordinance. This is the memorial. This is the important time. This is the night to be observed. What's to observe if they were in Ramses and they lined up and left? The big stuff that happened on the 14th. The miracles that happened on the 15th. Not the 15th. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. Now here he calls the Passover again an ordinance, the same as he did in verse 14. There shall no stranger eat thereof. Now this going to be a very, very important point made here in a little bit. But every man servant that is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he shall eat thereof. So... If someone went with them and a the mixed multitude did, as we saw in verse 38, that person had to be circumcised in order to be counted among them and to eat the Passover, just as we need to be baptized today before we can eat the Passover or take them, the bread and the wine. A foreigner and an hired servant shall not eat thereof, in one house shall it be eaten. You shall not carry forth anything of the flesh is brought out of the house, neither shall you break a bone thereof. That's referring back again to chapter 12, where he said uh, to eat it all that night. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it, and when a stranger shall sojourn with you, and will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then let him come near and keep it, and he shall be as one that is born in the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. One last will be to him that is home-born, and a stranger that sojourns among you. There was a time when the Gentiles in the New Testament were allowed in, but they had to be baptized. They didn't be a part of the church until they had been made a part. So this goes forward to the New Testament as well. Thus did all the children of Israel, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. And it came to pass the same day... If the Lord did bring the children out of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt, the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, by their armies. Which day is he talking about here? The Passover day. That's the day he says he bought them out. the 15th. God officially recognizes the 15th as the day they bought them out. They couldn't keep the Passover. He didn't say you can't keep the 15th until you're circumcised. You can't keep the Passover. The subject is the Passover. And that's the day he says he brought them out, the self-same day. That refers back to the self-same day in verse 41. They came out on Passover, the important day, the same day they went in, 430 years before. Now, I'm going to show you something else here. Chapter 13 that I just discovered this very morning. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Sanctify to me all the firstborn, whatsoever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. Alright, he's, he's going to set aside the firstborn. Now, what it was Christ? He was the first of the firstborn. The 14th is important to the firstborn. And we are the the, you know, those who follow the first of the firstborn. And the 14th is important to Christ, the day he killed, and it's the day that our salvation then became possible. And Moses said to the people, remember this day. Which day? The day that sanctifies the firstborn. Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out from this place. There shall no leavened bread be eaten." Now which day is this day? The day he brought them out of bondage, and by strength of hand, when did he show his strength of hand? Passover night. That's the night he killed all the firstborn, that's his strength of hand. Did he have to have a strength of hand to bring them out of Ramsey's on the 15th? No. They had already been delivered. They had already been thrust out. They had already marched away ways in their homes and gathered there, and all they had to do the next morning was get up and walk. There was no miracle required for that. Now, I want to compare Numbers 9, verse 16. This will blow your socks off. Numbers 9. Write that down there? Money. Now, wait a minute. I've got it written down here. I give you a dramatic leader, and then I can't find it. Numbers 8. Excuse me. I wrote it in my Bible. It was a ninth. It's in my notes. 8. Numbers 8, verse 16. For they are wholly given to me from among the children of Israel. Instead of statues open every womb, even instead of the firstborn of all the children of Israel have I taken them to me. So he's going to say, instead of lambs and goats, what's important to him is the firstborn of the people. Okay? For all the firstborn of the children of Israel are mine, both man and beast, On the day that I smote every firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified himself, or sanctified him for myself. He says here, the firstborn was sanctified on the day he smote the firstborn. That's the fourteenth. That's the night of the fourteenth. That's when the firstborn became his, and of course, that's when Christ was crucified, was on the fourteenth. Now, flip back to chapter 13 and see this. Most, he said, sanctify the firstborn, in verse 2, of man and beast, it is mine. And Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt out of the house of bondage. So God shows fear that the firstborn were sanctified on the day they came out. When does Numbers 8 say they were sanctified? On the night he killed the firstborn. That tells you that God officially calls the night they came out the 14th. Absolutely undeniable. No way of getting around that one. The night that the firstborn was sanctified is the same night they he slew the firstborn, and it is the same night that he brought them out. No getting around it. Absolute, undeniable proof. Now let's go back to Exodus 13, verse 3. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, so God called the day the firstborn was sanctified. The day they came out, and Numbers eight calls it the night he killed the firstborn. Out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out from this place. It was the strength of hand that killed the firstborn. It wasn't getting up and leaving ramseheeds. This is the day he brought you out, there shall no leaven bread be eaten. Ah The 14th is the day they came out, it's the day the firstborn was sanctified, it is the memorial, it is the ordinance forever, it is the feast. It is the day they came out, and on that day shall no leavened bread be eaten. Passover day is a day of unleavened bread, absolutely undeniable. This day came you out in the month of Agen. That is the official day God says, I brought you out. Not the 15th. Numbers thirty-three-three says they left Ramses on the 15th. It doesn't say they came out of Egypt on the 15th. God started them out on the 14th by a mighty hand. And it shall be, when the Lord shall bring you into the land of the Canaanites, of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which we, we swore to your, your fathers to give you a land flowing of milk and honey, that ye shall keep this service in this month. What's he talking about? Passover? Sacrificing of the firstborn? That day? in he When he brought them out with a strong hand by killing the firstborn. Seven days ye shall eat unleavened bread, and in the seventh day shall be a feast to the Lord. Now, we've already seen that Passover day is a feast. Exodus 12, 14. Look at 23, 5. And here, he says... Also, in addition to that, the 7th day will be a feast to the Lord. Now, we throw this feast thing around. Passover is called a feast, in Exodus 1214. The last day is called a feast in verse 6. Leviticus 23, 6 calls the second day of Unleavened Bread a feast. It's all a feast. The first day is, the seventh day is, seven days on. Now, God uses the terms interchangeably, and when we get to uh, uh, Ezekiel 45, when he calls it Passover, a feast of seven days, God uses Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread interchangeably. Now, we've tried to explain in the New Testament that, well, the Jews called the whole period of time Passover. But we're going to find, as we already are, that God calls Passover a feast, and He calls Unleavened Bread a feast, and He calls the seventh day of Unleavened Bread a feast. And so in Leviticus 23, 6, when He says, this is a feast, He calls what I believe is the second day of Unleavened Bread a feast as well. But it's all a feast. All of it is a feast. Now we're going to see. And, and once we understand Deuteronomy 16, this one we can go and explain, over at three six. But we have to lay some background to go to Deuteronomy 16, because I want to prove to you that Deuteronomy 16 is that pride wrote, not what some Jewish scribe somewhere at some time might have changed. But why does someone say that? I'll tell you why they say it. It doesn't fit their beliefs. So when Deuteronomy 16 seems to contradict what they believe, they say somebody must have changed him. They're going to accept it, what's there. But I submit to you that they don't understand Exodus 12 and 13, or Numbers 8, 16, and 17. And that is why they think Deuteronomy 16 won't work. I'll show you that Deuteronomy 16 will won't work. And when it mentions flocks and herds birds there, there is a logical explanation as to why that could include the Passover and the rest of the days of 11th book. There does not need to be anyone saying Deuteronomy 16 is fraudulent. But that's another story, and we'll get there a little later on. Let's continue here. I don't have a whole lot of time left, I guess. Let's try to finish this talk. 7 days, verse 10, 13 says, 7 days you shall eat unleavened bread, and in the 7 days that so there shall be a feast to the eternal, unleavened bread shall be eaten 7 days, and I shall no leavened bread be seen with you, neither shall there be leaven seen with you in all your quarters. This includes Passover day. No leavened bread will be eaten on the day they were thrust out, and we've already proved that were thrust out on the 14th. And Numbers 8 backs it up. Verse 8, And you shall show your son in that day saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did to me when I came forth out of Egypt. And this shall be for a sign upon you, upon your hand, and for a memorial between your eyes. Now, which day did God memorialize? Exodus 12:14, 14, the 14th. So he's reiterating here that the memorial, the 14th, is something that is to be between your, on your hand and between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth for with a strong hand as the Lord brought you out of Egypt when on the day of the memorial that's when they were thrust out. ye shall therefore keep this ordinance in this season from year to year what is the ordinance? Passover day that's in 1214 again that is a very pivotal verse verse 14 because it calls Passover a day not just an hour even before he calls it a memorial and a feast and an ordinance forever so that establishes which day he's talking about when he talks about an ordinance and a memorial so he's talking about the passover here that's the day he was thrust out it says it again you shall therefore keep this ordinance in this season from year to year and he shall be when the lord shall bring you into the land of the canaanites as he swore to you and to your fathers and shall give it with you That you shall set apart to the Lord all that opens the matrix, and every firstling that comes out of of a beast, which you have, the male shall be the Lord's. And every firstling of an ass you shall redeem with the lamb, and if you will not redeem it, then he shall break his neck. And all the firstborn of man among your children shall you redeem. When did he say to be that? Verse 7, 11, 14. That David has all the symbolism of Christ and him being the firstborn of many brethren, and it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, "What is this?" that you shall say to him, "By strength of hand the Lord brought us out from Egypt, from the house of bondage." When did God show His strength? Fourteen, kill the firstborn. Is there anything that shows? That he gave his strength, his power, his might on the 15th? No. That's just when they marched out from Ramsey, number 32 3. Right? And it came to pass when Pharaoh would hardly let us go that the Lord slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. What day is memorialized here? Which day is mentioned again? 14. Not the 15th. Both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast, therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all that opens the matrix, being males, but all the firstborn of my children I redeem. There again it shows that the night he slew that was the night he sanctified the firstborn, and that's the day that he says at the beginning of this chapter, He brought them out of the land of bondage by strength of hand, and the no love and bread is to be eaten. Verse 16, and it shall be for a token upon your hand, and for a between your eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt. That's the night that was we thrust up by His power, by His might, the firstborn was killed. This, he goes over this over and over, doesn't he? Says it several times in different ways to get the point across. This is the day that's important to remember. This is the day to tell your children about. This is a night to be much remembered, rememorialized. And it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, but God said, lest go eventually the people repent when they see war, and they return to Egypt. But he led them to the Red Sea, and they went up harnessed, or in ranks of five, as my margin says, out of the land of Egypt. So they went to Ramses, back on the 14th, probably camped there, over the 15th, and then got up and left off of the their But there's no fireworks, there's no miracles, there's no wonders. It is left. Right. But they were just out on the 15th, And Moses took the bones of uh, Joseph and so on. Verse 20, and they took their journey from Succoth and, and camped in Edom. So they went from uh, their homes on the first day to Ramses. Second day, they went from Ramses to Succoth. Third day they went from Succoth to Etham on the edge of the wilderness, and God went before them by a pillar of cloud to lead the way during this period of the time, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, and He didn't take it away. Then they went on down and camped at Pahap Evath between Midgall and the sea over against Baal Zephon, and from there they went across. Now I submit to you. That they left Egypt, were pressed out on the 14th, began their journey, and got organized in Ramses and went out harnessed on the 15th. And probably by the 7th day, there were camps at the Red Sea, and that's the day they crossed it. So you have two very important days. The first day is Passover day. That would be the first holy congregation then you have a very important event that occurred on the seventh day across the Red Sea. Now, I'm I'm interpolating this into the story. It's hard to follow this and say that it was the seventh day. But all symbolism would point to it. There were two major events. The killing of the firstborn that's from them, and the crossing of the Red Sea that killed Pharaoh and delivered them. Those are the two days that are important. Now, I don't have time to do it today, because I'm about out of time. Uh, I wanted to get to it, and I can't, but I'll pick it up next week, God willing. And we're going to see some scriptures that are going to absolutely emphasize this and the it, that those were the days that were to be memorialized. Those are the two days that are mentioned throughout the rest of scripture as being important. Fifteen, never mentioned. Fourteen, and... When he did kill the firstborn, and the seventh day of unleavened bread, when he went across the Red Sea, I think those two are remembered throughout picture. What did God memorialize? We'll pick it up there next time.